to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. And I'm going to preach straight out of this text today. So... Hold your Bible there because I'm going to be referring to these scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, okay? And let me just start preaching right now. Um, There is an old hymn that we used to sing when I was growing up. The, The hymn said, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? And the chorus said, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. Anybody know that song? Anybody grow up singing that song? Okay. That song, the songwriter focused on two things. The cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Alas, it did my Savior bleed. Okay. When Paul wrote this text that we're about to look at, he had the same two things in mind. The, the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. He wants, So I know last Sunday I preached on the blood of Jesus. But today I'm going to preach about the blood of Gim, and I'm going to preach in a different way. I'm going to talk about different things about the blood of Jesus. So just go right, let's just go right into this text, okay? Here we go. Paul said in verse 6, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you so much, Deidre. Um, When we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's a powerful verse. You see it right there? Matter of fact, you may just have to leave those scriptures up on the screen, Julia, if you'll do that. Since to help people today, we'll go back and forth to it. When Paul wrote this, it was full. Listen, these verses are rich, y'all. He said, there's several things. He said, Jesus died for people without strength. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, I can't bench press more than 100 pounds. What it means is that spiritually we were depleted, we were weak, we were impotent. It literally means helpless, helpless. God knew that we were completely unable to do one thing about our sin problem. He knew that. Let me just say this morning, you cannot save yourself. You try, you're going to fail. People try to save themselves with religion, religious works, rituals. They say, I'm going to give money and donate money. If I donate money to charitable causes, And that will get me right with God. Through the years, I have had people say to me, well, Pastor, God and I have an understanding. God and I have an understanding. I'm like, yeah, right. Okay, there's only one understanding. You might have an understanding, but there's only one understanding God has. And that is you can't help yourself. That God has to help you, okay? You can't repair the breach between God. You can't wash away your sins. You can't make yourself right with God. You need God's help. You need a Savior. And that is one of the reasons why Jesus died on the cross, because we could not help ourselves. So he said, in due time, let me just give it to you in our words, at just the right time. At just the right time. You know what that tells me? God had a plan. Jesus is called the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. That means that Adam didn't blow it in the garden, and then God said in holy counsel, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? We didn't say this. Oh, Lord, that's funny. He wouldn't say, oh, Lord, he'd say, oh, me. But anyway, never mind. He, he, you know, they didn't get together and say, oh, what are we going to do? We didn't see this coming. It didn't surprise God at all. Before Genesis 1-1, 
They already had a plan in place that when Adam sinned, Jesus would die for us. Let, read, let me get, notice the same wording in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, sounds very familiar, right? Similar. It means at just the right time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. God had a plan because he knew we couldn't help ourselves. There's a song years ago we used to sing. You probably wouldn't know it, but it went like this. I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's son, took my place. All right, then Paul goes on, verses 7 and 8, says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I thought about this verse, and I was trying to figure out what Paul was saying here. I really was looking at him like, why, why do you talk about people barely, rarely, perhaps dying for people? Well, it makes sense like this. In the world system, in the human nature, it is very rare to find someone who will give their life for someone else. Especially, even if that person is a good moral person or a righteous person, it's just hard to find somebody like that, okay? I thought about the only person that came to my mind and would do that would be the Secret Service agents. But they get paid to do it, right? To take the bullet for the president. It's just not natural, okay? Why? Because we look out for ourselves, don't we? All right, we think, hey, you're on your own. I had a friend of mine named John Day. We were in Bible college. John was dating a girl, and she broke up with him. And John, in a fit of rage, in a moment that he would probably be incredibly embarrassed about now, in his 50s, went out to a dirt pile at night and just beat the dirt pile with his fist in a rage. Because that old girl, women, that's what y'all do to us. Y'all don't be ashamed of yourselves. Well, he came back in the dorm room. You know, at this point, it's like 11 o'clock at night or whatever. He comes in. His, he's got dirt, pebbles, rocks embedded into his knuckles. I said, John, you can't leave that like that. we got to take you to the hospital. So we drive downtown Charlotte to a hospital. We get in there. By the time we get back, it's 1 or 2 in the morning. Now, I don't know about y'all, but 1 or 2 in the morning, my equilibrium's off. My stomach's empty. Okay? I'm not in a good place because I'm supposed to be asleep. But we went back with John through triage, and we went back in the room. This doctor comes in. He starts laying out all this medical equipment, and he's going he's gonna to work on John. So he starts sticking a needle in there, numbing stuff up. But my stomach started turning. And, I just, and then he started poking and picking and snipping, and my, the room started spinning. Not for John, for me. And I said, John, I love you, buddy, but you're on your own. And I walked out the door. I left him in there. I'm going in a waiting room, okay? That's how we are. You, it's, you're on your own. But aren't you glad that God didn't look at us and say, you're on your own? Because there would have been no help. We'd all be in hell. But instead, Paul says, God looked out for us. Y'all, that's something to be excited about. And, and, and then he says, this is interesting, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now, when I read that, it's like every time I read it, until I studied this and understood it, you know, I'm a writer. I'm an author. And so I said, oh, somebody made a typo there because Jesus died, you know, 2,000 years ago. It should say, but God demonstrated his love toward us. I don't understand this. Somebody, but then I started looking it up, and I realized that's exactly what Paul wrote. And I'm like, I don't understand this. What does this mean? But then the more I studied, the more I began to realize what, what Paul is saying, he's saying God set forth or proves his self-sacrificing, selfless, freely given love extended toward us by sending his son to die for us, okay? And what he's saying is, is, is that, that the cross 
still speaks today. It's current, all right? And this is why you, you have to understand he died to do for you what you could not do for yourself. I want to say this. I want you to get this. Never, never, never doubt the love that God has for you. And I'm not just talking to the believers here. If you're here today and you're in sin or you're backslidden, you think God doesn't love me, you have no idea. God loves you more than you know. Now, he doesn't love your sin. He hates your sin, but he loves you. You have no idea how much he loved you. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus on a mission, his own son on a mission to give his life as a ransom for you. And Jesus, the son of God, loved you so much that he hung on a cross and died to free you from the clutches of sin and to give you salvation and life. And that's why Paul uses the present tense demonstrates because the cross of Jesus not just spoke to those people who were there in the first century, the cross of Jesus still speaks today in the 21st century, and it says, I love you. Every, why, do you why do churches put crosses on steeples and everywhere? We do it because it, it's a sign, it's a statement from God that I love you. You can never doubt my love. Look what I did for you. And it means that God wants to save your soul. He loves you right now. I want you to think about the power of God's love. It's it's so strong. He loved us while we were still sinners. Aren't you glad that God didn't look at you and say, all right, you clean up your mess. I'm going I'm to give you some days, give you some time. you got to get to a certain place, and then we'll talk about this salvation thing. What if God would have done that? A lot of us would have never made it. But that's not how God works. You, he loves us with our mess, with our sin, and he says you come with your mess and you come with your sin. Whether you're a drug addict, alcoholic, whatever your problems are, you're just, you're just a sinner. You're a mean person. You come, and God loves us while we were still sinners. He, he loves us when we were devoted to our sins. He loves us when we're transgressors of the law of God and thought and word and deed. He loves us when we're living contrary to his holy nature. And I thought about this. Nobody loves anybody like that. You hate somebody like that. But yeah, God hates our sin, but he loves you. That's the power of God's love. And I don't know about you. But I'm so glad he looked beyond my faults and saw my need. I thank God for the power of the cross. So that's the cross. That's the act. But then Paul transitions from the event, the crucifixion, to the substance in the crucifixion, and that is the blood of Jesus. If you were here last Sunday, I preached on the blood, and I said the blood of Jesus covers our sins, and the blood of Jesus cleanses our sins, and that's true. But today I want to point out what Paul says here, and I want to tell you some more about the blood. I really felt like I needed to come talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and preach the gospel today. All right, go to verse 9. If you're looking in your Bible, it's on the screen. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And I like that word, much more than. And I thought, what does that mean? And it just means in a greater measure. And so what does that mean in this verse? It means that whatever the state of the previous situation that you're in, what's going to follow is going to be greater in God and better in God in every way. And so here's what I want to tell you today. I want you to hear this. No matter how bad your life of sin is, no matter how far away you feel that you are from God, when God saves you, the power of Jesus' blood will be more than enough, not just enough, more than enough to give you victory over the sin that has a hold on you. God's work will erase and eliminate the effects of sin. His saving power is greater than the power of sin in you. Some people say, but you don't realize how bad I've been, how long I've been a bad person. It does not matter. 
the blood of Jesus will wash and cleanse every sin. And that's why the Bible says where sin abounds, God's grace abounds much more. Are you glad for that this morning? And then he said this phrase, and this messed with me. Having now been justified, we shall be saved from wrath through Jesus. Having now been just, and I said, well, okay, now you now there's another thing that's messing my head. What do you mean having, past tense, having been now, uh-uh. And I'm like, uh-uh, somebody messed up, okay? They put the now in there. You got to take the now out, okay? So I, so I said, what, God, what do you say? We shall be saved. Well, the longer I looked at it, it made sense to me. I wanted it to make sense to you. There's something that happened in the past, something that happened in the present, and something that happens in the future. So right now, I want you to take the now out of that verse, okay? It's all right. I'm going to put it back. My father-in-law's here today. Jim, good to see you. Good to have you here. My mother-in-law's at home with Leah. And uh, I, I, went to, I went to Monroe, Louisiana this summer and preached a camp meeting. And, my, and the state overseer said, you want to go to Duck Dynasty? I said, man, yes. That was my full intent. If I had to Uber, I was going. He said, let's go. I'll take you. I have been to the warehouse. That's cool, man. I got my picture made out in front. Been in the warehouse. It's cool, okay? When they get through, they give you a bag. I bought some things, and then, and then they give you a bag, and, and it's just some goodies. And I got in the car and opened it up. I got a Uncle Cy green cup. So I got my Uncle Cy green cup. Now, I have to take, like, blood pressure medicine, and sometimes I just need water for something. So I, I leave this cup by the, the left side of the refrigerator on the counter. Leah leaves it alone because she knows I've got it there on purpose. And it just stays there. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Do y'all do stuff like this or am I weird? Okay. And so my in-laws came in. And, and so I went to the refrigerator to get my green cup. It was gone. I said, where's my green cup? Leah's looking dazed. Jim doesn't know. Rachel's sitting over there. She said, where was it? I said, it was by the refrigerator. Oh, she said, check in the dishwasher. I, I want to say, mother-in-law, do I come to your house and start grabbing stuff and putting it away in drawers? Leave my cup alone. So I got a glass, and I put that glass out so I'd have it. I got up this morning. My father-in-law was in the kitchen, and I'm in there to take my little blood pressure pill, and I walked over. The glass was gone. I said, Jim, where's my glass? He said, I don't know. He said, Rachel probably got it. So we're going to take it out, but unlike my mother-in-law, I'm going to put it back. So I love my mother-in-law, by the way. And so take the now out. Past tense, having been justified. What does that mean? This means when you got saved, God did something wonderful in your life. He justified you. This is an act of a courtroom setting. You come in with your sin, you're guilty, you're standing before God, the righteous judge, but you appeal and plead the blood of Jesus, and you say, God, I believe that Jesus died for me. I want to ask you to forgive me for what I've done and appropriate what he did. He took the punishment for my sin. I want you to appropriate that to me and forgive me and cleanse me, please. And when you do that, God forgives you, God saves you, and watch this. He slams the gavel down on the big desk in heaven, and he declares you justified, which means he declares you righteous. You are in right standing with God. You say, that's simple? Yes, that's the power of the blood. That's simple. Yeah, but all the things I've said, all the things I've done, how the life that I lived, 
all the bad things that I've done. It's been bad. In one moment, God washes it, cleanses it, covers it, forgives you, and declares that you are righteous. You need to grab a hold of that. Especially when the devil tells you that you're still under condemnation. Say, I'm not under condemnation because I've been justified. But you're under condemnation. Having been justified. But then he sticks a now in there. So let's get the now. Let's get the uncle's side cup and put it back by the refrigerator. Put the now back in there because that's present tense. So having now been justified. I think God said, I did something for you when you got saved. I justified you. But this is not just a one-time act. Being justified is a state of being. Okay, it's existential, if that helps some of you. What does that mean? That means that a justified person lives a life that reflects someone who's been justified. That a person who's been declared right lives a life of righteousness. Now, I get worried sometimes because I stay up with pastors and churches and try to stay with America and the trends that's going on in the church. I get nervous because there are preachers preaching and they preach the gospel and they want you to get saved, but that's all they preach. And then people are not fully understanding what that means, that, that that's supposed to translate into a life and you repent of your sins and you don't live like you used to. You don't act like you used to. You, God cleans you up. Sometimes he does it instantly. Sometimes it's a process called sanctification. But they're not preaching that. And then people get saved, and then they start living in, in, in ways that are sinful, and nobody's saying anything to them, and they think they're okay. Let me tell you something. You're not okay, okay? When God sees, let me just give you a little verse. It's real short. God said, be holy, even as I am holy. I mean, that's the standard. And when you get saved, you shouldn't want to do things. I don't know about y'all. Maybe y'all ain't like me. I just said ain't, but I'm going to say it again. Maybe you ain't like me. But I mess up, and when I mess up, now I might be enjoying it for the moment. You know, I'm mad. I'm, I'm, I'm fussing at somebody. You know, last week I talked about to turn. For those of you who aren't here, let me help you. We need to say this again. The roundabouts keep moving. It's not a four-way stop, okay? Keep moving. All right? Anyway, that gets me frustrated. I get upset. Okay, I'm trying to get somewhere. Okay, got places to go, people to see, things to do. You're in my way. So I, and I may say, at the moment, I'm enjoying it. But God lets me calm down. And then the Holy Spirit inside of me goes, boy. And I go, uh-oh. I am not happy with that. that. That's not anything like Jesus. What you did was wrong. And then I start feeling guilty. Now, y'all may not do this. You should, though. Because the same Holy Ghost in me should be doing the same thing to you. You feel bad. And what God is wanting to do is say to you, I declared you justified. I made you righteous. Righteous people don't act like that. And what do you do? You keep short accounts with God. Right then you ought to say, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I was wrong. I feel so bad. And help me not to do this again. Change me. Give me victory over this, Lord. I'm trying to disciple you this morning. If you'll keep that up, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will forgive you, and he will continue to work on you. But, but, is, but do I have to do that? Yes, because your life is one of having now been justified. So that's the past and the present, but then he goes to the future. He said, having now been justified, we shall be future. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Now listen to me. There is a day coming. And it's coming. 
All right, it's down the road, but it's coming. It's called the great white throne judgment where every sinner who's ever lived who didn't repent is going to be resurrected from the dead. The dead ones and the live ones are going to be plucked up and stand in a big courtroom of God. And the books will be open, and all the evidence is going to be against those people that they did not get saved. They rejected God. They want to live in selfishness and sin. And God will slam the gavel down and say, guilty. And the Bible says that every person who's there, and I'm not making this up, and I don't want anybody to go there, but every person in that place, that condition, will be cast into a devil's hell. Because God can't let you in heaven. So, oh, God wouldn't do that. He'll let me go to heaven. You can't have sinful people in heaven. Satan tried that, and he got kicked out. Adam and Eve tried that in the Garden of Eden, and they got kicked out. You're not coming in. And there's only one other option for you in an eternal state, and that's a devil's hell. Well, some of you right now be going, oh, Pastor, and that day, when that day comes, am I, am I going to be okay? You're just fine because you've been justified. You've served the Lord. Your case has already gone before the Lord. See, you've already been declared righteous. You're going to be, you know how in the courtroom you always got the people sitting back watching the courtroom and what's happening? That'll be us. We'll be the people watching it from the galleries, okay? But we've been, we're not going to have to worry about going to hell. You're going to go to heaven to be with Jesus forever. Because you've been justified, made right with God, and he wants this to continue, not just here on earth, but for all the ages. All right, so what does this mean? It's God rescuing us. The blood of Jesus rescues me. So that's, I didn't say that, but that's the first thing. The blood of Jesus rescues me. Then here's the second thing. The blood of Jesus reconciles me. Now, y'all know what reconciliation is. Y'all ever gotten a fight with somebody, and I mean, it turned into a full-blown bloodbath. And it's somebody that was a good friend or family member, and it just escalated, and it just got bad. And it got so bad that you wouldn't talk to each other, and you broke off relationship, and and, and there are bad feelings, and sometimes it goes on for days or weeks and months and sometimes years, which is a really bad thing. But then let's say that time passes and somehow things happen and you get back together and you start talking it out. And you miss them and they miss you and they talk it out and you, you get it. Everybody, God gets your heart right and you start talking it out and you forgive each other and, and you reconcile. The, the relationship is restored, okay? The enmity, the hostility is removed and whatever was broken and, and disrupted is now repaired and reestablished. That's reconciliation. Paul says that's what God does with us. See, sin creates hostility and division between a sinner and God, all right? The Lord despises sin. It's, it's contrary to his holy nature. And I want you to listen to this. God reacts in the strongest possible way against sin in every shape and form. And he condemns sin in the sinner. But after the blood of Jesus has been applied, hallelujah, you are reconciled to God. What does that mean? Peace is made between you and him. The condemnation is removed. And God looks on you differently now. He looks on you as an object of his love and blessing. He looks at you as his child. Now, I want, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else in this message today, I hope you'll get this. Why is reconciliation so important? Let me tell you why. I want you to get this. This is the truth. From the beginning, starting with Adam and Eve, our existence was designed and meant to be an existence of desperate dependence on God. Adam and Eve were not created to be isolated people, individuals who could take him or leave him. They were designed to have relationship with God, and they were desperately dependent on God. And that, what was true for them, is true for us. 
I want you to think about a, a tree. A, a priest recently, I had a, I got a peach tree in my backyard. And the peach tree, it, it put out peaches like crazy. They never fully developed, though. But they had so many peaches on them that the branches couldn't hold them up. The branches started breaking. And so I went out there and cut them off and laid them down the ground. Well, I'm, you know, you get older, you get smarter. You work smarter, not harder. And I knew if I picked them up right then, they'd be heavy because all that stuff was fresh and green. But I thought, I'll let them lay there, and I know what will happen. See, when you sever from the tree, you've cut off from the source of life. Okay? Well, for two or three days, they laid there on the ground. They, look, they still look green. They still look good. They had, they had peaches on them. But about the third day, second, third day with this heat, everything started shriveling up. Leaves were shriveling up, turning brown. The fruit was shriveling up. Everything shriveled up. When I, then when I picked them up compared to a green branch, it was a whole lot lighter. I was able to take them, take them off and dump them. See, when you separate from the source of life, branches are desperately dependent on the trunk. And once you separate it, you might look good for a while, but eventually, you're, if you, that's why if you ever backslid and get away from God, you can look like a Christian for a while, but trust me, you're going to shrivel up and die because you're living in sin. You're no longer connected to God. Now, if you graft that branch back in to that tree, guess what? The life starts flowing again. Jesus said, I am the vine. You know the rest of it? And you are the branches. He, he, know, he knew this. He said, without me, you can do nothing. You depend on me. We have to have, and that's why reconciliation is so important, because you draw your life from God. You're made to depend on God. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. You're made to be in union with God. Listen to me. And nothing works right without him. There's a guy named C.S. Lewis. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He was a, I think he was an atheist at one time, and God saved him. Changed, he became this great defender of the faith, of, of the Christian faith, an apologist. Unbelievable guy. Anytime you read his stuff, you ought to read him. I want you, I'm going to get, read something that C.S. Lewis said. This is so good. You're going to understand this. This is, this is a word picture. I like images. He said a car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself, and he himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. Or the food our spirits were designed to feed on, there is no other. If you're going to walk with Christ and live with Christ, you've got to stay connected to Christ. And that means you can't let sin or anyone or anything ever break your relationship with God. He reconciles you so that you can walk in this beautiful relationship with him every day of your life. How many of you are glad he lives in your heart and is with you every day? Hallelujah. Reconciliation means God is my father and I'm his son. Reconciliation means I'm the apple of his eye. Reconciliation means he looks at me the way I look at my grandson. I came in early this morning, and Jared and Mary Beth, they, Beth, they both, usually that one plays and the other one does it so they can take care of the boys, the grandsons. But they had a, somebody got sick, so they both had to come in. I walked in this morning, and Mary Beth was over here playing the guitar, and little Barrett was standing here just teetering, holding on to her leg while she's up here practicing. And Barrett was over here on the floor and playing with toys and whatever. So, so I got, I, I got, uh, I mean, Bo. So I got Bo. I said, Bo, come with me. I got Barrett for a little while, but he wanted his mama. He had just waking up. So I gave him back. I said, Well, I'll take care. I said, Bo, come with me. And we went. I said, Let's just go walk through the children's park. Maybe we'll find Pastor Amy. So we walked through. I found Pastor Amy with the whole whole children's staff. They have a pre-service meeting. So all the children's department leaders are in there. Workers, they're in the meeting. So we went in there, and Amy, she, we, she walked with us. She said, Come on back here. We got snacks. I said, Bo, you want a snack? He said, Oh yeah. 
So we went back there, and I got him a little blueberry thing, you know, that it looked healthy. Like I care. And, and so... And so, so we got him a little something, and I sat in there with the workers, and he ate, he ate the blueberry little thing and whatever, and, and I said, baby, what you want? Just tell me what you want. Just took care of him. Anyway, you know, I love my boys. I mean, I do. I love my boys. Now, they know I love them, and, and their mama loves them because, you know, mamas and boys got this thing, and dads and boys do, okay? But uh, those grandbabies, they're in a whole different category, okay? And I know my kids sometimes wonder that I love them more than I love my boys. Probably so. <laughs> Might as well be honest in church. I don't know. That's not true. I'm going to be like the Lord. I have enough love for everybody. But all the grandparents know there's something about those grandbabies. I'm not kidding. You're going to laugh. Go ahead. On Friday sometimes, a lot of times, I'll call Mary Beth and I say, can, can Bo spend the night? She starts laughing. I said, can Bo come spend? She said, yes. I'll go get him. I'll bring him to the house. We, get, we got little things for him. He loves Nikos. Y'all ever eat Nikos? Nikos spelled backwards. It's token. A little trivia right there for you. Next time you're in the store, go look at it. N-E-K-O-T. And then he'll get, I want crackers, Papa. Baby, you can have anything you want. I told Mary Beth, I said, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Papa's house stays at Papa's house. Okay. She just smiles and looks at me like, please don't do this, but I know I'm not going to win. I'm not going to win, okay? So he comes over, we get Nico's, and we get him, we'll get him, he likes yogurt, and we just, and then he'll say, Papa, would you, you play with me? We get in the floor. I pastor a big church. I got degrees. None of that doesn't matter anymore. That's a bunch of stuff. I just get in the floor, and we play with, I bought, he's in the Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol, I know Paw Patrol. Rubble on the double. Chase is on the case. I can do them all. All the, all the parents know what I'm talking about. PJ Mask, Peppa the Pig, even Dora the Explorer. I never thought I'd watch Dora the Explorer. I can't take much of that one. But, we, but you know, Paw Patrol. See, I like that. Cause it, and, and, he, and, I, and, and so I bought him stuff. And we, we get in the floor. We play him with the toys in the floor. And then, you know, the, the, I say, Bo, Paw Patrol's on. We're sitting. We watch. He's eating crackers, drinking milk. And I'm over here drinking milk and eating crackers. We watching Paw Patrol. When it's your grandbabies, you just do anything for them. And so we go to bed. He sleeps in our big king-size bed. He sleeps right in the middle of us. And he's already got it figured out. See, we have a little plan. We have a little thing we do, okay? And so Saturday morning, we wake up, and then we say, Bo, let's go to Mr. Rivers. Y'all been to Mr. Rivers? Oh, if you haven't been to Mr. Rivers, you ought to go to Mr. Rivers, downtown, Anderson. And we'll go eat breakfast. And then he's got it figured out. I say, Bo, what do you want to do next? I want to go to Target, and you buy me a toy. I said, let's go. You know what we do? We load that child up. We head to Target. We go back in the toy section. I said, pick out what you want. I want this and this and that. Well, you can't. I can't buy the whole section. Just pick one. And my, sometimes Leah's in a gender. Pick two, baby. Go ahead and get two. And I buy him a toy. And I look at that kid, and I have so much love for him. I mean, you just don't know. Sometimes I'll just stare at him. He's playing. I'm just staring at him. I'm like, how do I love him so much? Because I told Jaron when he was first born, I said, now, he may be yours, but he's mine. He started laughing. I said, does that make sense to you? He said, yeah, I think so. I said, he's yours. I ain't going to raise him. I raised you. That's your job. But he's mine. And I just love him. And I'll do anything for him. I said, baby, what you want? Okay, whatever you want, you just tell me. And I got to thinking about that. And I thought, if I look that way at my grandson, at a three-year-old, 
How in the world do you think God looks at every one of us that's born again in this room that it's his, we're his sons and his daughters? He looks at us and says, what do you want? I'm your father. I'm going to take care of you. I'm here for you. I'm concerned about Will you go play golf and have a bad round? I understand. Will you have a good round? I'm there with you. I'm, I'm here with everything. Will you go through the trials? Will you go through the good times? Will you get pregnant and have a baby? I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, God's, God loves us with a love that we can't even understand. That's why we need to be reconciled to God because God cares for us that much and just changes our whole relationship with him. I speak to him. He speaks to me. He lives in my heart. It's awesome. I want you to stand with me. Verse 11. Can you put verse 11 up on the screen? Verse 11. I could have left it out, but I didn't. Because I have a sermon with alliteration, rescue, reconciliation. I had to get one more R, and there it was, rejoice. I mean, it must be OCD. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ because of reconciliation. Here's what I got out of that. I said, you know what? Man, when you, when you preach a message like this, now y'all been quiet today, y'all been listening. But you ought to get happy. When you start thinking about what Jesus did for you, and the price he paid, and the change in your life, it ought to make you happy. There ought to be some hallelujahs and thank you, Jesus. Let me, I want you to do something. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you remember, just raise your hand in your heart. How many of you remember when the Lord saved you? You remember that? You remember the condition you were in, how bad it was? Remember, remember how low you were? How sinful you were? Maybe it was at church, maybe in Sunday school or something like that, maybe at a, at a youth camp or a concert or you were listening to something on the radio or somebody ministered to you personally one-on-one, led you to Christ. You, you were weighed down with guilt and fear and shame and, and, you know, you're trying to be happy and find fulfillment in life and, and it's not working. And then somebody shared the gospel with you and you believed it and you prayed and asked the Lord to forgive you. And at that moment, the guilt, the fear, the shame were and you knew you were in a different relationship with God. And I love to lead people to the Lord because they'll come down crying and weeping a lot of times and they're upset and they're just heavy. And they'll pray and they'll give their life to the Lord. When they get done, whole demeanor changes. They get the stupid grin. Y'all know what the stupid grin is? They just get this, you look like Gomer Powell. Shazam. I'm saved. Shazam. That's what they look like. He said, how do you feel right now? I feel good, Pastor. I said, how do you feel? I, I'll say sometimes, you feel like God took a wash rag and cleaned you out on this? That's it. That's how I feel. And they got this smile on this. I said, you got the smile. What's that? Just don't worry about it. it. It's there. It means the joy of the Lord is there. The peace of God has come. The love of God is for you. Jesus is taken inside. Oh, the Holy Ghost has come inside of you. And you just feel that joy. Let me tell you something. That joy that you had felt so good. Sometimes people lose it. I'm going to tell you, you should never lose that joy. If you ever walk in this church and you're struggling, you're down, you're having a hard time worshiping, okay, you're in your prayer time, you're riding down the road, let me just tell you how this works. Here's what ought to happen. If you're listening to Christian music, riding down the road, you're in your prayer time, you're in another kind of thing, watching television, something on TV, they're singing, you know, whatever you like, Hillsong, Jimmy Swagger, whatever, and, and, and you're just getting blessed. And you start, but you say, you know, man, I just wish I could really worship the Lord. Let me tell you what to do. You come to church, you're down, everybody else is singing, and you just feel like, you know, you can't sing. Let me tell you what you do. There's a remedy for that. 
You just need to go back to Calvary. You need to start thinking about the cross and what Jesus did for you. You need to get a picture one more time of the blood that was pouring from his body that washed every one of your sins away. Let me tell you what happened. If you'll start thinking about the cross and the blood and how Jesus saved you and what he did, where he pulled you from and how deep down you were, and yet he reached down and pulled you out and cleaned you up and changed you up, you could be in hell right now. You could be in jail right now. You could be laying in a cemetery right now. But no, God reached down his hand for you and he changed you and you put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and in the, and the cross and the gospel. What happened? Everything was changed. Everything was gone. And if you'll just start thinking about what God did for you, I don't care how bad your week has been or what you got to face on Monday morning. For an hour and a half in here, you can say, Whoo, I'm feeling something because I'm thankful for what he did for me. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for loving me that much. Thank you for changing me. You'll sing. You'll clap. You'll rejoice. You ought to rejoice for the saving work of Jesus Christ in your life. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.